Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. What is good, everybody? Thanks for joining us here on this holiday edition of the Coast to Coast podcast on InsideCarolina.com. I'm your host, Joey Powell. With me, as always, the two men that bring the heat more so than anybody that's ever shoved a coal in a, in a steam train before. These guys bring heat. A Coleman doesn't bring heat. These guys bring heat. Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Man, I, I, I can't complain. Um, I'm, uh, I'm singing loud for all to hear so that I can spread Christmas cheer. Uh, I, I'm awesome, man. It's, uh, it's the last, last recording before the holidays, so, so this is good stuff. And we got a win to talk about for the Tar Heels. Sherelle, how are you feeling? I'm good. I had some orange juice earlier and uh, <laughs> going to have some oranges later on today. It's there you go. been a great day. Yeah. Take that scurvy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, as always, if you have not, please subscribe to this podcast. Um, or if you are uh, watching this on YouTube, make sure you uh, hit like and subscribe on YouTube. If you get a chance, uh, rate and review us. We really appreciate that. It helps bump us to the top of podcast searches through whatever medium you you get this podcast so we really appreciate that if you don't like what we're doing let us know too we don't want to sit here and be a bunch of cotton-headed ninny muggins right like we want to want to be real good content providers for our subscribers and viewers and listeners and guys uh, i want to make sure i thank johnny t-shirt we got what four shopping days till christmas um if you haven't done your shopping and you haven't been to johnny t-shirt you're, you're you're probably sol but you got a couple of days left. Johnny T-shirt still has some gear. They've still got, if you want a, a Carolina blue Santa Claus hat, I'm sure they probably have that. Um, if you need anything for the Tar Heel fan in your life, Johnny T-shirt is your go-to. JohnnyT-shirt.com. Hit them up right there on Franklin Street. I uh, don't know that I would trust the shipping right now, and that's not Johnny T-shirt's fault. That's just because the, the postal service is underwater right now. But uh, Johnny T-shirt usually has really, really quick shipping. But just swing by the store. Go by Franklin Street. Parking should be easy right now. There's nobody in town, in and out. They can do curbside for you if you need it. Uh, but just get in, get out, get what you need from Johnny T-Shirt. We appreciate them sponsoring this show. We want you to appreciate them as well. Fellas, as I teased a few seconds ago, we actually have not an Ohio State game to talk about. Uh, we don't have a ton of uh, recruiting news to share. Nothing really changed since last week when we talked about Deontay Green. So we're going to focus this episode on the current Tar Heel roster and a win that they got yesterday against Kentucky, who is not the Kentucky of old, not the Kentucky that most folks are, are used to, but they did get a win against Kentucky in Cleveland yesterday. Sean, I'm going to go to you first. We talked last week about, you know, I think I asked Sherelle, can they get rid of the turnovers? Turnovers were down yesterday. And, and I don't know how much of that is, is Kentucky's defense or just North Carolina calming themselves a little bit. Uh, but turnovers were down. Do you feel like maybe they figured something out or do you think it was just an aberration and we'll probably see it again when they play on Tuesday night against NC State? <laughs> um, probably somewhere in between. I, I think, as you mentioned, the turnovers were a big focus point and only having 11, more, more importantly, uh, Caleb Love only having a few. Um, I know before he's been throwing the ball all over the place, but I think what he showed in the second half, uh, you know, with, with RJ being out, um, you know, not that he was coming into his own, but I thought he definitely looked comfortable and, and looked improved. And, you know, just watching the game on TV, you felt comfortable with him 
I think leading, you know, leading the pack. So, you know, we could easily see probably 15 plus. Yo, sniper. Looks like we lost Sean. Not really sure what happened. Uh, Sherelle, I'll let you take it up from there. How do you feel like Caleb Love is making his transition? It looked like yesterday he adapted to the speed of the speed of the game a lot better. He was a little more aggressive off the dribble. Um, you've harped on it. Sean's harped on it about him going to his left is is where his sweet spot is for his jumper. How do you feel like he, he made some adjustments yesterday that produced not only better statistics, but I think just an overall better, better game flow from him? I think you're starting to see him, uh, you know, just progress game by game, half by half. And there was some slippage maybe against North Carolina Central. Um, but for the for the most part, I think he's gotten better with each game. And what he showed, I think, was just a, a more calming approach to how he plays the game. There were still a couple of shots here or there um, where he either had to bail UNC out because it was late in the shot clock or maybe he rushed one. But for the most part, <clears throat> I think he's learning what is a good shot and what is a great shot. I think he's learning uh, kind of how to uh, find his own offense within the structure of North Carolina's offense, which is al always really the kind of the biggest deal when it comes to uh, freshman point guards at UNC, the faster they can do that, the better they can play. Um, and then, you know, I, I think a part of it too, that maybe people aren't thinking about all those Kentucky guys and the Carolina guys battle each other on the AAU circuit for years. And there's something comfortable about being familiar with your opponent. And thus far, you know, he hasn't been really been, uh, familiar with the opponent so people like Devin Askew and Terrence Clark and Cameron Fletcher who was his AAU teammate uh, all those guys played against each other in AAU and I think um, you know knowing that you've played well against someone gives you a little bit more confidence maybe than someone you haven't played well against in the past or haven't played at all so I think that was a factor too um, and then the turnovers you know I, I'm, I was impressed because even though Kentucky isn't a good basketball team right now um, they have a lot of good players or, or players who are athletic and who can at least uh, cause havoc and, and disruption and for the most part you know the two freshman guards handled it well I think they were seven to two combined assist turnover ratio which you'll take all day um, considering how they played thus far this season so uh, definitely a, a growing up moment and, and maybe one that kind of pushes uh, Caleb uh, further along as he continues to progress each game. Absolutely. And Sean, glad you're back with us. Uh, we just picked up the conversation where you were kind of leading with how Caleb Love seemed to kind of get into a groove yesterday. And Sherell, you kind of led to what I want to talk about my next point. This is obviously not a Kentucky basketball podcast, but Kentucky is a huge flaming pile of trash right now. And, and I don't know that I've ever seen a team this talented and I shared with Sherelle before we started, I was talking to my wife yesterday while watching the game. She said, well, Kentucky's just bad. I'm like, well, they're, they're not bad. They're incredibly talented. And I use the analogy with her that it's a bunch of parts for a Ferrari thrown to the back of a Toyota Tercel. And I know they're kind of lacking uh, a true point guard. Sean, what do you think is the big gap right now that, that just is, is causing Kentucky to be so bad? You've seen all the talent they have. Yeah, I mean, I think – you know, similar to sometimes the problems we see is they have a lot of individual talent. I think some of the players came in with, with high rankings, but you look at Devin Askew, who I got to see a lot in Southern California, and he was always good, uh, but was he great? Is he kind of a one-and-done player, which not really. Um, and you look at really the one-and-dones, B.J. Boston is projected top 10, but even he was having, you know, we had play tech on him, and he was – you know, credit to play tech and how he played defense, but 
here you have a guy six 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 seven and he was struggling to get creation um you know kentucky doesn't have shooters on their team they're even a worse three-point shooting team <laughs> that being said you know for unc we're going to need them to get some wins in the sec so that this win can actually count, you know, <laughs> count for us come tournament time and i think i think they will um once again they have a lot of individual parts with big names and i think for them you know they started mints which i think was a good sign for them and you know to be honest worried me when I saw it and probably everybody else when he started going off early on. He cooked early. Um, and I think for them, it'll just be kind of going, going really a seven kind of seven man rotation and bringing guys in. But once again, you have two guys in Askew and Clark who, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they could have been playing in their senior, you know, senior year of high school. So they kind of reclassed up. So once again, that's a big adjustment. So a lot of individual talent, but similar to some of the Kentucky teams we've seen lately is that they really lack um, shooting ability and the ability to put the ball in the hoop. And I, I put some of it on the coach too, uh, because I don't know that they have a firm understanding of what they're supposed to be doing. And so when you choose uh, to turn over your roster every year, you know, seven and eight times over, then you have to adjust to that. And maybe this is just a class that, that isn't listening to him or a class that's not picking things up as, as fast. And part of it too is just they're not as talented as previous classes that he's had. So I think you add all that together <clears throat> and then you add in guys who are used to being the guy and having the ball in their hand and doing whatever you want to do. And that's why it's so hard. And I know people don't like Calipari, but that's why it's so hard to do what he does because it's so easy uh, for it to go wrong. It's, it's combustible. Um, all those parts, when you mix them together, it, I'm surprised it hasn't blown up on them more often, to be honest. Um, but I, I think that's part of it, too. They, they don't really have an identity, whereas North Carolina and Sean, we talked about this offline. Uh, I asked our, our kind of basketball group chat, me, Ben and Rob and Sean. I said, what is the thing you trust this North Carolina team to do every single game? And, I, you know, the more answers you get typically, the better the team you have. And I think right now for North Carolina, Sean gave the answer of offensive rebounds, which is 100 percent accurate for Kentucky. I don't think there's anything you can say that they do well and you can count on them to do well every single game. They are tall, like literally, I think that's all Kentucky has going for them right now. And that's that's height all around their, their roster. But it's as it's as you saw yesterday. Even with a guy and Sean, that was a great example. Even with a guy as, as small or I don't say small, but he's not big uh, as, as Andrew Playtech is, they struggled to create against him. And he was, he was out of position quite a few times in the first half. Um, Sherelle, I want to ask you real quick, quick sidebar. Don't spend a ton of time on it. I figure Hunter Salas has got to be watching this. Um, does something like this play into a recruit's mind? I'm not asking you to read Hunter Salas's mind, but does watching this sort of plug and play not work this season play into a guy like Hunter Salas's mind for next year? Well, no, he just – I don't think so. Uh, I think it's uh, – these guys are very confident. So it's, oh, those other guys are terrible. I'm really good. I'm going <laughs> to come in and do it. I'm better. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, once you stack, start stacking years and years upon struggles, then maybe it's an issue and it's something that other teams might point out. Um, but I, I don't think Kentucky struggles will, will impact whether or not he decides to go there or not. I think it's all going to come down to whenever he does get on campus, the visits and kind of the pitch that – the respective schools give him that's Creighton, Gonzaga, Kansas, Carolina, and Kentucky, pretty much are the ones I think who are really in there. And somebody who did not struggle yesterday was Carwin Walton. 
uh, the, the, the scouting report that you guys had done and so much of, of the, the film and the watching him play that you guys saw before he committed to Carolina all talked about what a smooth shooter he was and how he was, he was great from deep. And we just really hadn't seen it yet, mainly because of reduced minutes, not really fitting into the rotation, or he just really hadn't found his stroke. And at least for about three minutes straight yesterday, he was NBA Jam style on fire. Sherelle, did you feel like this was coming? Did you see anything that made you think Kerwin Walton was going to be the first guy to start hitting shots for for UNC, or did it surprise you like it did seemingly everybody else? Uh, I mean, if he's in the game, we know that he's capable of making the shots. I don't know that I would have thought he would have made three threes um, <laughs> in the game, especially the way in which he made them, which they weren't all just, you know, spot-up shots. They were, you know, make a move or, or right. pump fake, one dribble kind of thing. So that shows his savviness. Uh, but no, I, I would did not have uh, Kerwin Walton scoring 13 points on, on the bingo card yesterday. But it's a welcome development for North Carolina, especially with how they've struggled to shoot. Sean, you had posed on last week's episode that maybe a lineup change was something uh, worth looking at. I don't know if Walton was somebody you would pose like that, but the thing I think that's probably holding Walton back is his – uh, he's just not very mobile laterally. I think he struggles moving side to side, which makes his defense not as good or not as up to par as what Coach Williams may want to see. Do you think he can get there? Do you think he might be a solution to the slow starts? Or, or do you think it's just a limitation that's going to take him a, at least a year to work into? Um, well, well, one, I think for Walton, you know, I was probably, you know, not not down on him, but I think the lateral concerns were a big, um, you know, big question mark for me coming in. Um, and, and one, I think he's leaned out a little bit, definitely from some of his videos watching last year. Um, but you know, whether it's starting or not starting, I think him, you know, him getting the trust of Roy Williams and the coaching staff is going to be huge going forward because once again, we've talked about it, I think the past two times of really the team is kind of, you know, before he hit three threes, you know, the team is really capped at about six threes a game. Um, you know, Max. And, and now you have him coming in and being able to hit possibly two, three a game. One, you know, one that obviously adds points because it's, it's been a struggle to score. Um, but two, especially with how important the bigs are to UNC this year, is it gives them an option to pass out versus so many times we've seen them passing out and you're not swinging it quick enough. And when you are swinging it, there's nobody that the team fears to hit a shot. And now all of a sudden you can play a true two-man game and it makes or, – or be able to swing it and it makes it a lot harder for the defense just to double down without remorse. So, yeah, I, I think there are still some defensive concerns. And I think Coach Williams talked about that in the, uh, the post-game press conference that he's still more comfortable with Leakey in a lot of situations. But, you know, once again, he did kind of come up with that steal um, after he made the threes. And I think he's, he will be getting better – on that front. Uh, but once again, I think more importantly, offensively is, is the big thing. And I'd actually kind of commented on this right before he hit the two, but one of the you know things with him is I felt he wasn't, not that he wasn't ready to shoot, but he would often catch the ball um, a little off balance. And that was the thing you saw when he was making the threes was it was just kind of a straight up straight down versus sometimes as, his upper body was, or his, sorry, his lower body was a little bit in front and he would be ready to shoot, but then he, he would just wouldn't have his legs under him and he'd have to pass it kind of ruining a good opportunity. So if he can just kind of get that natural rhythm going, you know, I think that there, 
it definitely increases the ceiling for UNC's offense a lot. Yeah, and if nothing else, it's good for these young guys to see the ball go in the basket. That's another Royism too that everybody's heard a hundred times that it always looks better when the ball goes in the basket. But specifically, I think that when you have a guy like Walton or you know Playtech hit one too, a guy from the perimeter is able to hit a big shot. You look at the second half yesterday at how much that opened up uh, the spacing for the big guys to operate. Even if they're not getting fed the ball in the post, it gives them better room to operate getting offensive rebounds, which we've talked on this show before that it actually is one of UNC's better offensive sets is just to get a shot up and let the big guys go get it. Uh, one of those big guys that has continued to impress and has continued to raise the level of his game was Armando Baycott. And I loved his quote after the game yesterday saying that um, they're not going to get punked anymore and I'll leave the expletives out of it. But Sherelle, what else have you seen from Armando that, that we maybe didn't see outside of his, his high school AAU runs that we haven't seen in a UNC uniform yet? I think we're seeing from him uh, growth. I think we're seeing from him patience. Um, and I, I think we're seeing from him just kind of a, a mindset to be in it at all times. And what I mean by that is that, you know, there were times last year where I think, uh, you know, just being in college basketball maybe was, I don't want to say too big for him, but it was, everything was moving fast. And mm. we always talk about the game slowing down. Well, it's slowed down for him considerably now. Also he's healthy. I, I think people forget last year, not only did he sprain his ankle in the Virginia game, but in the second half of the very first game of the season against Notre Dame, he went out with a sprained ankle. So it's something he definitely dealt with the entire season, uh, but he's leaned out. He's more athletic. He just looks more fluid. Everything just looks better. Like everybody always talks about the freshman and sophomore jump, but you're really seeing it here. And um, just him being so good has made Carolina's front line honestly better than I thought it was going to be entering Absolutely. the season. Because I don't think we expected this level of growth from him this quickly. Um, that block he had, you know, that the chase down block, it yep. just showed the athleticism. It was just, it was like he was back in the Oregon game last year. Yeah. Um, so he's shown that he can do it. And now he's putting it together where he's doing it every single night. So just the consistency that comes with growth and maturity. And, and I think a little bit of patience, like you don't have to do a, you know, between the legs, you know, crossover dribble. Right. Move time. <laughs> Sometimes just a little hook is all you need. And he's learned that. I don't know that we've seen the raw aggression yet that we have seen out of him yet this year. I don't know that we saw that last year. And if we did, it was, it was in very, very brief instances. Sean, did you have any inclination that, that Baycott had the ability to be this engaged defensively as he's been so far this year? Well, I think the one thing that stood out last year when, when looking at the numbers and when we went through kind of an off season of looking at how the players did and, you know, what, what could they do next year? I think the main thing that stood out for, Armando was how good he was um, on the boards. So his mm -hmm. offensive and defensive rebounding percentage uh, were, were significantly, you know, he did great in those in both conference and non-conference. So he was, you know, that was kind of the starting point. And I think as long as he, we've talked about it a few times, but as long as he quickened his moves offensively, then he would have some room to grow. We've seen the kind of freshman, as Cheryl mentioned, the freshman and sophomore jump with a lot of other bigs in the UNC system that didn't come in and just kill it right away. But sometimes they struggled as freshmen and, and then started making that leap as a sophomore. So, you know, did I see what he's doing right now coming? No, but I'm definitely glad it's here. And I think, you know, we talked about the block, but even maybe more impressive was he made the block and then he just turned and started sprinting down the floor. And for a second leak, he might've been able to hit him for a, a go ahead pass, but yeah. that's probably something you, you, hadn't really seen out of him and you know you go back to his body in high school and something that 
I don't think you really would have expected out of him. So, you know, one, the block, but then two, just being able to turn and, and run and sprint as quick as he did was impressive. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not reported as much just because the weight loss wasn't quite as dramatic, but you remember when every UNC game, it would be, Oh, kidding me. has lost 75 oh pounds. You know, it was every <laughs> single game. Right. Baycott, you know, he was, he was never as big as Kennedy, but to Sean's point, he's lost a ton of weight over the last like three and a half years from the first time, you know, most of us saw him with team loaded VA uh, yeah. back in, you know, 15, 16 and what he looks like now. I mean, it's, it's a completely different person. So, uh, you know, just props to him just for the work that he's put in uh, to Jonas and those guys that he's put in to get stronger and faster. And you can see him finishing through contact now too. So he's definitely improved in that aspect as well. Jonas's ability to take big men who have, you know, I don't want to call it baby weight, but it's unrefined uh, body mass specifically with big guys and move it around to the right places. Uh, and most of the time with big guys, it's strengthening that lower body. And I think Baycott shifting some of that around and giving him that strength and that explosiveness, uh, it's just it's it's really really neat to see, and it's it's been it's been nice to see him have that uh, that explosivity back between you know not being injured and the work that he's done in the offseason. and it's neat to be see him be assertive too. I think that's something that spreads across to the rest of the team. I'm going to be assertive real quick and let the national guys jump in here and uh, run some ads. We'll be right back to wrap up the talk about Kentucky and talk about the game in Raleigh coming up on Tuesday. Stick around, just one sec. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. All right, we are back. Thanks for hanging around. You're listening to the Coast to Coast podcast on InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell. Sean Moran is here. Sherelle McMillan is here. We just got done talking about Carolina's win against Kentucky uh, on Saturday in Cleveland in the CBS Sports Classic. Let's make sure we do everything for Ohio State series of ball games that they had. Um, Next, the Tar Heels are going to look towards uh, an opponent that Roy Williams has no love lost for. They were playing on Tuesday night at NC State. Uh, granted, there won't be fans there, so the hatred may not be as as visceral as it usually is on the side of the, the home team. But uh, definitely Roy Williams always seems to have his squads prepared to play NC State. I think he's 37-4 lifetime against them. I know NC State's dealing with some COVID issues. Sean, how do you see this game shaping out matchup-wise? Do you see any specific places you think North Carolina can exploit? Um, well, I mean, definitely, you know, definitely the big guys. I think Manny Bates uh, has been playing very well so far. And, you know, he, he played well in limited minutes last year, but I think he's been – he's definitely been, been playing well. I, I mean, I think 
the main thing for, for NC State, they've they've been looking pretty good on both sides of the ball, um, have been shooting the ball very well from three-point line. The one thing for them is just the level of competition that they've played uh, with really St. Louis being the only team that's <laughs> in the top 200. And they ended up losing, you know, St. now St. Louis is kind of like Richmond, probably not a lot of people have watched them or think of them, but they're, they're a really good team and have a lot of experience. So, you know, that was a, that was a good loss, but once again, they haven't beat anybody in the top 200. So I think just the level of intensity uh, possibly for NC state initially, but, you know, I, I know UNC's always kind of had their way with them. Uh, but I think a concern is UNC is coming off kind of the high of beating Kentucky um, and, Maybe they think they've arrived and all of a sudden NC State jumps on them early and now they're they're working from behind. But, um, you know, really, I think if UNC uh, limits the turnovers and can limit the open three-point shooting of NC State, I think they should be fine. But once again, hopefully uh, both bigs can kind of feast down low and can get those opportunities because that's where UNC can make them pay offensively. Sherelle, what do you see as – uh, potential trouble for North Carolina, uh, specifically from NC State. You know, Sean mentioned Manny Bates. I think DJ Funderburk has is, is been fun to watch. I mentioned her earlier this year when we were previewing the conference. Uh, who do you see as potential problem players for NC State against North Carolina on Tuesday? Well, I think it's that question we talked about in the offseason about North Carolina's four men, uh, whether it be Garrison Brooks or, I guess, De'Ron Sharp, or whoever's playing the four in their two-big system. Um how can they handle, you know, some of those stretch fours, the guys who are naturally small forwards who play down <clears throat> and play the four? I think uh, State has two of those guys, uh, Jericho Helms being one of them and then uh, Daniels being the other one um, who can, you know, step out and hit threes. So, you know, there'll be a time where State is playing, four, you know, four out, one in. And basically, can North Carolina handle the pick and rolls that State's going to throw at them? Can they handle – uh, Daniel's kind of having the mismatch and Hillam's having the mismatch, potential mismatch with UNC's four. Um, so that's, those are two areas to look at. And then we know Keats, you know, from his Louisville days, from his UNC Wilmington days, and, and now at NC State, he does like to push tempo and he does like to, to trap and to press. Uh, so it'll be uh, really more important than usual, I would say, for Caleb Love and RJ Davis to protect the ball. Um, and I, I do wonder, uh, North Carolina's tempo now is – by far the lowest has ever been in the Roe Williams era. Um, they're playing extremely slow for Roe Williams standards. I think part of that is the op opposition. And so I wonder if NC State playing fast might actually, or trying to speed North Carolina up, might actually play into their hands by making a more free-flowing game um, and letting you know guys like Caleb Love and RJ Davis show their athleticism and get up and down the court. So, I, you know, it's it's something that Keats has done. He's insisted on playing uh, against North Carolina in the style that he likes. And you know, I I would have to look at the stats, but I feel like Carolina scored 90 points on State a, it, a lot yes. over the last few years. And I think it's because you know Keats likes he likes to play like he likes to play it up tempo and Carolina just likes to play that way as well so I, I'm curious to see if it kind of revs up the Carolina fast break it will be neat to see how this team plays in a more free-flowing game because you're right they have seen a lot of set defenses most of the time this year and that's that's tougher for a, a team that especially a younger team that likes to push tempo it's it's hard for them to create it on their own yeah, I think, you know, the tempo is going to be really important. And as Sheryl mentioned, 
They're ranked 107th, which is as by far, you know, UNC is usually top 40. Um, and then when you look at power five schools, usually one of the, the main schools up there, it's interesting just given, um, and maybe Adrian can do a study, but just in terms of the tempo of what they're doing now was a little higher than what they did in, you know, 20, I think 17, 18, when they were top 40. So it seems also that the rest of college basketball has started playing, you know, besides UVA um, has started playing a lot, a lot faster as well. But with UNC, I mean, usually you see Roy Williams just kind of anytime the point guard gets the ball, just motioning them to, you know, go, go, go faster. And I feel like I haven't really seen that as much um, this year, but as Roel mentioned, I think, you know, with a team playing up tempo that will, that will speed the game up. They like to take early shots or quick shots. So, you know, if, if you have two teams looking to, to go early, um, I think that'll speed things up. But once again, I think, you know, that's something Caleb Love will be, will be improving, improving on, but you're not used to seeing a, a UNC team uh, sub 100 in the tempo rankings. I do think it'll give the bigs a chance to, to show their legs. I think there's been times, and you mentioned it just a second ago, about a potential chance that Leakey had for a hit-ahead to, to Baycott in the Kentucky game. There are probably going to be some chances that the UNC bigs have not had yet this year to get out and run against NC State if tempo is what we think it's going to be. Shrill. So I'll give you all this question. We're talking about tempo so much. The way UNC is constructed this year, I know, I know what I know the answer you're going to give, but be open-minded. The way UNC is built this year, do you think that is the best way for them to win, considering the advantage they have in the post? It seems like the best way to win is to play half court, and you know, even if you take, you know, a, a contested three, as Joey said, there's a good chance, you know, 30, 35 percent chance that they're going to get the offensive rebound, and you'll get the other team in the foul trouble, and it'll be kind of attrition. So, it, is the typical Carolina you know, play faster than run faster than you played last time. Is that the best way for this team to win? Um, it's, a, it's a good question because, you know, of, of any team, maybe this is a team that doesn't need to run and, and limits turnovers. Uh, but with the depth that they have, you know, with the big men uh, right now, three very established strong bigs that any team wishes they could have probably one of them. And then you have Kessler who, as the fourth big uh, is kind of still getting his legs under him. But I think from that standpoint, you have the bigs that can, that can run if they get tired, um, you know, they, they can rest or get a sub. Um, but I, I guess the concern is, is the half court offense. Um, once again, sure. We saw minutes of it the other day against Kentucky, but the offensive, you know, half court is, can be troublesome at times, especially when you're not shooting threes or you don't have that type of lineup in. So when you're going against a team uh, such as NC state that while their defensive rating is, is high, they're probably not the most, you know, they're not at UVA or Texas tech on defense. So once again, you can get some easy points and any points with, with UNC now, I think is a, is a good thing. So I would like to see them definitely push it faster and try to get some of those opportunities. But I do hear what you're saying. And I think there's, you know, you can probably go both ways, but I definitely think there's room to improve the speed that they're playing at. You're not here to hear my analysis, but I'll answer since Sherelle posed it. I, I would love to see them uh, get more out of the secondary. So if there's a chance for the quick pitch ahead 
uh, you know, obviously you take that. If there's a chance to go one-on-one, you try to let Caleb or RJ have their opportunities there and, and, you know, again, maybe get it up on the rim. Somebody follows it for a flush, but I'd love to see them actually get more chances out of their secondary break, which we have not seen a lot of this year. Uh, they've run it, but it just has not been effective for, for whatever reason. And maybe it's comfortability or, or who knows. Um, now, uh, the one, one thing to add about tempo, and I saw it a few times with the Kentucky, was, you know, it seemed, it seemed the bigs were a little slow on getting back. Yeah. And I thought there were some times where Kentucky could have pushed a little harder and put the pressure on UNC uh, with Kentucky getting to the line. Obviously, they weren't great free throw shooting team, but there were some opportunities. I felt UNC was a little lackadaisical getting back. Um, so if you are going to try to push it and you're playing with a team that is comfortable, you have to make sure that you're not giving up those easy baskets in return. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, I haven't seen a line on this game yet, but I think Ken Palm has it as a one point NC State uh, advantage. Any other any other parting shots on the potential uh, or it will be a tilt and rally on Tuesday, but potential outcomes or potential game flow? Shrell? Uh, not particularly. I think just looking at things overall, we we um, I guess we need to check in on how we are thinking things are going without fans. And um, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of games for a variety of reasons over the last couple of weeks. And the free throw shooting across the country seems atrocious. It is garbage, and, yes. <laughs> and, I, you know, I don't have numbers to back that up. This this just anecdotal just for me watching games. Um, but I feel like there's so many missed front ends. And I'm just – I don't I, I don't have a reason for it. I don't know if it's still just guys kind of lathering themselves back up from um, having most of the summer off, if it's death perception because there aren't any fans, if it's just too quiet and they're just kind of freaked out. But – is something that it seems like it's not just a UNC thing. You kind of see it ac- across the country. Uh, same with, with the low scoring and the poor shooting. So, you know, we came in thinking, oh, okay, well, the NBA had a bubble and <laughs> those guys were, you know, they're incredible already. And they were shooting, you know, <clears throat> just crazy percentages and scoring was up. But it seems like in college basketball, that's been the opposite case. So uh, I think the under is a safe bet on Tuesday. Um, just because, you know, the two teams, um, North Carolina in particular, uh, just seems to be struggling when, when it comes to shooting. And I, I can't figure it out. It, it, I don't think there are a ton of terrible shots that aren't at the end of the shot clock. Um, just guys are just struggling. So I, I'm, I'm just curious what you guys think because I can't figure it out. Shrill. I mean, every, every missed free throw, uh, you tend to remember a little more when, when there's a vested interest in it. So um you both sure. sit on a throne of lies i was <laughs> i was told that unc was the only team that couldn't make free throws and that they had to hire a free throw coach um no i absolutely agree with everything you just said Cheryl. i've seen the same thing specifically i'm glad you called out the front ends of one and ones because that's when you look at it that's actually that's that's a turnover right if you go mm-hmm. for a one-on-one and you miss the front end usually the team gets uh, gets the defensive rebound and, and you've lost a possession out of that. And that's just, it's weird to see. I do think it is some clunkiness. Sean, what, what are your, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I don't know. I mean, if you're watching the Gonzaga Iowa game before the UNC Kentucky game, you saw, you know, <laughs> different worlds, Iowa, but you saw two just free flowing offenses. Gonzaga shooting the lights out. Iowa was struggling, but they're still putting points up. Um, but once again, I think it goes back to, you know, a lot of these teams, didn't really get the repetition, you know, the repetitions and familiarity with all the preseason practices and summer. And, you know, now you're playing these, you know, all of a sudden it's Ohio state 
that you're looking forward to and then <laughs> Kentucky uh, shows up. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But I, I think, um, you know, it, it is something to, to, to watch. And especially for UNC, I mean, the free throw shooting, Kentucky luckily couldn't hit a free throw either and missed a lot of big ones. But those one-on-ones and, you know, the lead was big enough where you weren't too worried yesterday. But if it's a three to five point game, who are you comfortable yeah. you know, with, with going to the line. Um, and I think that still is a big question mark, uh, especially given last year, all the, all the close losses that, that UNC did have. And when your offense is predicated on getting the ball inside to take advantage of your bigs, to get the other team in foul trouble, to get to the free throw line, if you don't make the free throws, all that seems like it's for not. You got to so, make pay. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that's just something. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure Roy Williams would say it's mental toughness. You got to step up and knock them down. But they really need to to try to do that because it is it, it it's going to cost. It. I, I mean, you can make the argument it's already cost them a game, but it's going to cost them a game. They have no business losing at some point if they continue to, to shoot the ball poorly. And to their credit, like NC Central, um, once they had missed a few, I think they made their last nine or ten. Um, so they're showing signs, but you just have to do it more consistently. It will be interesting to watch with other teams, at least a majority of teams around the country struggling with their offense and not finding the flow as, as much as you may be accustomed. It will be interesting to see if North Carolina's teetering identity as a defensive team uh, continues to pay dividends or even you know, solidifies itself as even more of a thing. Uh, boys, any last, um, last notes before we, before we sign off this week? Sean? Uh, two things. I, I, I seem to always have two things at the end, but um, all right. one Andrew Playtech. I know his, his offensive rating was under hundred against Kentucky, but I thought he played very well again. Um, I thought he was going to struggle against Kentucky given the athleticism and length. Uh, but once again, I mean, he gave Boston trouble defensively. He was moving his feet, working hard, um, hit a big three, found himself by, you know, so he, once again, he continued to play well, continued to be smart, and I think that's going to come in handy um, as UNC gets into ACC play, uh, if he can continue to do that. And then just the other thing, I know we, there wasn't really anything to talk about recruiting-wise, which is you know really weird at this point in time, because usually as UNC is getting ready for that CBS Sports Classic, Roy is spending the whole week leading up to that traveling to different mm-hmm. games and practices, and he's probably watching four or five different guys, and then you have the city of palms and all the other tournaments starting up where once again, him and the rest of the coaches are going to. So, you know, not being able to do that, you know, the team is losing a lot of good opportunities and it's a little harder to kind of see who they're prioritizing. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. It's, it's different. It's still different for everybody. And, uh, you know, you would think uh, that maybe not having that recruiting was good for them to be able to absorb the opponent change last week, right? The fact that the staff was around instead of instead of being out looking at tape or, or looking guys in person, excuse me. Shrill, final thoughts? Yeah, um, I just think we continue to see progression with Caleb Love. I think that, to me, that's one of the, the biggest – I think that's the biggest thing I took away from the Kentucky game is that he's starting, just, he's starting to look like the Caleb we saw in high school and that he's starting to look more um, like, you, like you want a Carolina point guard to look with the assist turnover ratio, with the kind of you know, making sure that he's 
blending the system with his own talents. And the more he learns to do that, like the drive on Askew at the end of the first half to cut it to four, mm-hmm. that's a, that's an instinctual play, something that he just did. He didn't think about it. He just went. Yep. Um, so as he continues to progress, it can only help the team get better. Now he's got to shoot better, and I think he knows that. So that's kind of the final thing, I think, to come. Once he can start just being an average to competent shooter, 33, get up to 32, 33%, which is a long hike from where he is now. But if he can get there, that's going to bode well for, for UNC. It's funny you mentioned that. Uh, Roy Williams said in his post game uh, just that they need somebody to start hitting from the outside. Those guys are all shooters. I mean, R- RJ has, a, has the capability of making deep shots. We saw Walton do it. We know that Puff will eventually when he comes along. But to your point, Sherelle, Caleb Love, definitely, I, I think that – the team as a whole is so bad from the perimeter right now that all it's going to take is like Kerwin Walton yesterday, hit a couple. And then all of a sudden you're, you've got an entire new dimension on your offense. Gentlemen, I appreciate it. Appreciate you being here. I uh, will certainly be tuned in on Tuesday night as the Tar Heels go to Raleigh to play the NC state Wolfpack states four and one. Like I said, haven't seen a line, but Ken Palm has NC state as a, uh, I think that shaking out as a, a one point NC state win. So we will see. Appreciate you guys being here. If I don't talk to you again for the holidays, enjoy yourselves. Be safe. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, whatever holiday you celebrate, I hope you celebrate it well, safely, and that we see you again next week on the Coast to Coast podcast. Appreciate Sean being here. Appreciate Sherelle being here. Appreciate you guys listening, watching, downloading, however you're getting this. Thank you for subscribing to Inside Carolina and InsideCarolina.com. We will talk at you next time. Thanks for Johnny. T- Thanks to Johnny T-shirt for sponsoring. Excuse me, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase?